0: You're listening to The Ascension Roundtable Podcast, Episode 41, Why I Converted from Mormonism to Catholicism, with Thomas Smith. In today's episode, evangelist and Bible scholar Thomas Smith tells his story about converting from Mormonism to the Baptist faith and eventually becoming Catholic. He explains what it is about Christianity that made him question his Mormon faith. But he also tells us four things he wishes we'd learn from the Mormon community. He finishes the show by walking us through two simple-to-implement prayer practices that can change your life.
1: Hello and welcome to the podcast. We're back today, Tom McCabe and I. We have such a great job. We get to talk to the coolest people all over the country and all over the world sometimes. And today is no exception. We've got Thomas Smith with us on the line. So hello,
2: Tom. And hello, Thomas. Good morning, guys. It's great to be with you. Yeah, it's great to be on here with you, Thomas. and Good to hear your voice again.
1: If you're not familiar with Thomas, he's a national and international uh, parish mission and conference speaker. He's a frequent guest on EWTN and Catholic radio. He was once a Mormon um, and became Protestant, became a Protestant pastor, or minister rather, and then came home to the Catholic Church in 1996. He's been involved in our world for a while. He's a co-author of the Great Adventure Catholic Bible Study on Revelation, uh, Prophets, Ephesians, Wisdom, you name it. He's probably uh, been in there. And he's actually also an international presenter for The Great Adventure. So he has uh, been around for a while and um, is incredibly wise and really just, I mean, the best word to describe him really is brilliant. So i um, totally stoked to have you on the show with us today. So if you want to know more about his work, you can at gen215.org. That's gen G-E-N-215. two one five org is the website you can find information about Thomas on. So, Thomas, did I miss anything? What else is going on?
0: Oh, that's great. It's been great to get to know uh, you and Colin, and I've known uh, Tom for for years, so it's, uh, it's great to gather together with you.
1: And how is life out in Idaho? Thomas lives on a ranch with his family in uh, southeastern Idaho, and how is, how is uh, the weather out there today?
0: It's beautiful. We haven't uh, got snow here yet. Where I'm raking piles and piles of leaves. Autumn is one of my favorite times of the year.
1: Excellent. <clears throat> so Thomas, can you give us the Notes version of your uh, experience coming into leaving Mormonism and coming into uh, Christian faith?
0: Sure. I, I was born a sixth generation Mormon. So my fourth great grandfather uh, was the first convert to Mormonism in the 1840s, and he served as wow. the founder, Joseph Smith's scribe. So it it's been in my family for a long, long time. The area that I lived in in Idaho is probably 85% Latter-day Saint. And I did what a lot of young men do when I turned 19. Uh, I was called to go on a mission, and my friends were going to Chile, to Peru, to Europe, to Asia. I got called to a strange and foreign land called Alabama. I don't know if any of your <laughs> listeners have been there. But it was a huge uh, culture, culture shock for me growing up in uh, rural Idaho to go into an urban environment in Alabama. Uh, I ate every part of the pig except the oink, I like (laughs) to say, and really for the first time encountered Christians in a meaningful way. Uh, I had not grown up around people of other faiths, so that was my first experience of that. And really through their shared stories and their prayers and their challenges, uh, I started to see cracks in the Mormon uh, theology and philosophy, and that ended up in a crisis of faith near the end of my two years. I, I left the Mormon faith tried to find someone to help me in my journey. I found a wonderful group called Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, who you, which you've probably heard of, they're a kind mm-hmm. of parachurch ministry. We have something similar with focus in the Catholic Church. They discipled me, uh, a mentor baptized me in the Christian faith, and then later I uh, felt a call to ministry and ended up being ordained in the missionary Baptist tradition, which is primarily African American. And then uh, in the 1990s, Just looking for something deeper in my spiritual life, I ended up reading a lot of Catholic spiritual authors: Thomas Merton, Teresa of Avila, Teresa of Lisieux. That opened the door for me to start looking at the claims the Catholic Church made more seriously. And I had a great mentor who who became my RCIA sponsor in the Catholic Church that joyfully lived out his faith. And so, in 1996, uh, I came home to the one Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. But it wasn't uh, easy. I I floundered to find my place in the church. And the common thing people would say to me is, uh, you just need to be Catholic now. Uh, But I had no idea what that meant. So going from being very engaged uh, as a minister to becoming someone sitting in the pews on Sunday was was Mm. a huge challenge for
1: me. Mm. That's interesting. So it wasn't anything doctrinally, at least not immediately, that struck you, but it was during your missionary experience that you began to see some of the holes slash flaws, I guess, cracks, as you described it, in the Mormon faith. That's interesting.
0: In- yeah, and they, 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 were doc- they were doctrinal problems, uh, certainly, yeah. And that, that was the first time I'd really been open to that. In Mormonism, it's very rare you doubt, and doubt is kind of a dirty word. So you get caught in a cycle uh, of uh, not really taking your doubts very seriously and just putting them on a shelf somewhere.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. What is that? If when you are going through that, what are people instructed to do if they are having those those doubts? Just to kind of forget about it, or not think about it, or don't ask that question, or how do you how do you get somebody to put it on that back shelf?
0: Well, typically, you're told that it's it's uh, um, um, diabolical. You know, it's the devil Mm. who's trying to get you to doubt your faith or to see an inconsistency in the faith. So you don't engage that. Uh, Typically, you just you move on. And so that's what a lot of people do. They'll put that on a shelf. They put it in a closet, put it in the back of their mind. uh, And and you just don't walk through that. And that's one of the things I appreciate about our Catholic faith is we're invited to engage to love God with our whole mind, to reason out our faith, to talk about our faith with others. And I didn't experience that. And what it creates is a kind of isolation. A lot of Latter-day Saints I talk to struggle with their faith, but there's really not a framework for them to talk about that. Mm. So they suppress it And so in areas where there's large Mormon cultures, you have the highest rates of teenage suicide. You have the highest rates of prescription drug abuse in the nation. And I think a lot of that's because people are kind of tamping down those spiritual crises and struggles, and they're not uh, processing them.
1: Wow, I had no idea. That's really fascinating. Huh. So what about once you came into the... uh the Catholic faith, did you find, you you just alluded to it, but the idea of going from being a a missionary, on Mormon faith, to being a Baptist minister, to being just somebody in the pews, was it hard to kind of find your place in the Church, since you were no longer a a quote-unquote leader?
0: Yeah, and not just for me. I think that's pretty common. I work with RCIA in my parish, and I've done so for the past decade or more, and the recidivism rate is pretty high. It's it's shocking. Uh, that we don't help people plug into ministry, to life, to engagement. So I I had a difficult time finding my place in the parish setting. What I ended up finding, by God's grace, was a really vibrant, flourishing young adult ministry that Tom McCabe was involved with and uh, Father Ed Buellt. And they were meeting in the former seminary building. In fact, there was even a community that had formed there at one time of uh, young Catholics living together. And it was just as simple as someone coming up to me, Rita Tomba, and saying, will you be a sacristan? We need someone to be a sacristan. I didn't know what the word meant, but <laughs> really it was something that simple, to someone to say, we need you, can you plug in here and help us out? And that rooted me uh, into the faith, where, where I don't know if I, I could have sustained it just based on uh, doctrinal reasons, staying, staying in the Church. I, I had to get into the community.
1: Wow. Would you say that's a reason why we lose a lot of new and, and new Catholics coming into the faith that they don't get plugged into something right away and they just kind of flounder about and eventually just kind of wander away?
0: Yeah, I think it's a huge part of it. And that's why I think programs like Called and Gifted or programs that help people find, find out, discover, discern, and then deploy what their spiritual gifts are, that roots them in the faith. So we, we try to do that in my parish during the mystagogy period that we help people look at where your spiritual gifts may lie. Here's the parish ministries that are going on. Let's let's get you plugged in to one of those and see if there's some reciprocity and some flourishing there. And that's made a huge difference, you know, that you actually get them to engage with a specific ministry coming out of RCIA. Hmm.
1: And so let me ask. Make sure I heard you correctly. You you said that Tom McCade actually helped your faith coming into the church. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Is that a big shock? Yeah, he was. He was one of those joyful engaged Catholics. And there was a lot of young people my age that were engaged in that community. And Monsignor Ed Bult was a fantastic homilist who, you know, if you ever go to his parishes, I mean, he started a parish from his garage that now has, I don't know, 4,000 families in it. Every Catholic family brings their Bible to Mass. Um, I've never experienced anything like that. So he was a good transition figure for me coming from an evangelical background someone who really taught from the scriptures and not only from the scriptures, but from the stained glass windows in the church, he had a, mm. an ability to draw from all of the things around us to, mm. to teach and engage us in our faith.
2: Yeah. So Thomas was really part of this incredible young adult group that was happening after world youth day, uh, in Denver. And, uh, yeah, it was a, it really was a blessed time, this time for everybody. Um, Going back to your your conversion story, there, Thomas, I had a just a, a couple of quick questions for you because I live in a predominantly Mormon neighborhood, surprisingly here in Atlanta, and uh, yeah, the uh, the Mormon missionaries will will come around regularly, and I, I agree that it seems like they they don't question. I can ask them questions, but there's something in them where they they just won't. Um, question uh, things and it's like a predisposition to that. What what happened to you during that two year span that you were open and and did was there was there a, a Christian of some kind who challenged you at that time uh, in a good sense to to uh, look differently or, or or consider some things that you hadn't considered before that?
0: You, you know what what I would say the biggest factor uh, I had on my mission was. Personal testimony of Christians to me. So that was the beginning of opening my heart. I, I could have argued the Greek tense in John one one for an hour with someone about whether Jesus was fully God, for example, but I could never argue with someone about their personal lived experience and transforming experience uh, when they gave themselves uh, over to to God, to Christ. So that kind of compelling personal testimony, hearing a Christian pray, and, and being attracted to that kind of personal conversational uh, relationship that someone was having with God, those are the things that really began to open my heart rather than anything doctrinal. That opened my heart enough, I think, for me to hear in other settings challenges to particular Mormon doctrines. But it really began on a very personal level. It's, it had to be incarnational in the beginning. And I think that's true for most Mormons. They tend to be very subjective They love to quote the line from Jesus, by your fruits you shall know them. So they're attracted and compelled by a a radical living out of the gospel by someone. And then they're trying to understand how that can be because in Mormon theology, only Latter-day Saints have the Holy Spirit. So how do we explain someone that has a a deep, profound relationship with God apart from uh, the Mormon faith? And so that, that was the opening, I think, for me.
1: That's interesting. So as a Mormon... Was there—the idea of having a personal relationship was just not really part of the faith, necessarily? And so for somebody to say, I believe in Christ because I know Him, not because of any kind of theology or doctrine, but because of their relationship, because it's like, I I know my grandmother because I know my grandmother. It's kind of the same type of a relationship with Christ.
0: Yeah, there is a relational aspect to it. But if you've ever heard a Latter-day Saint testimony, they're typically testifying about, particular doctrines. I know the Church is true. I know the Book of Mormon is the Word of God. So in that, that sense, it's, it's a bit of an abstraction. They're not encouraged to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You only relate to and pray to the Father, for example. Hmm. So th- there's a cultural difference there, I think. I don't ever want to deny that a Latter-day Saint could have a, a personal relationship with God. God can um, move in all kinds of ways, of course, the Church teaches us. But I, I think the shock for me was growing up in a bubble where I believed only Latter-day Saints have the truth or have any kind of meaningful prayer life, and then to see, see that that just didn't bear itself out in experience. That's what, where the shift was for me.
1: Hmm. So speaking of cultural elements, what, what in the Mormon faith, um, what positive cultural elements could we take from um, their faith and kind of adopt to Catholicism?
0: Yeah. So first of all, I, I do want to say, although we have really uh, important theological differences with Latter-day Saints, they're some of the most virtuous uh, people you'll ever meet, and really extraordinary people. And and I, I have a brother who's a Mormon bishop. My family's, much of my family is still engaged. So I do want to really appreciate uh, them as a as a people in general. I, I typically would put it in four words to begin with a letter S. Uh, way, things we can learn from Latter-day Saints, and the first is size. They keep their congregation small, three to 500 people. We don't have that luxury in the Catholic Church of creating those small dynamics, but we can do it within a larger parish through cells or small groups. I know where I work in the Philippines with parishes there, in some places they have one priest for every 40,000 Catholics. Can you imagine that wow. kind of a dynamic? So their big focus now in the in the Philippines is to create neighborhood cell groups because our faith is really only going to flourish in those smaller kind of settings and Alan that's what you kind of experienced in hospitality in that community you visited because they were small enough they could immediately recognize when someone new was coming to the community so that's number 1 number 2 is service they're extraordinary in the kind of service they engage in so all the time as a young person i was engaged in service projects you you cultivate that spirit of of service helping other people that's what fuels 90,000 young men and women in the Mormon Church to give two years of their life at their own expense to be missionaries all over the world. That's certainly something we can do in the Catholic faith, create that attitude at a very young age of service. The third S would be stewardship. Uh, whenever I was given a dollar as a little child, I always knew that a dime from that dollar went back to God, so that principle of of tithing and giving back to the Lord was cultivated in me at a young age. And there's been extraordinary revolutions in the Catholic Church of people who are picking up that idea. Father Andrew Kimberling, um, from St. Thomas More. They have 6,000 families and they started this idea of, of tithing in the parish and they saw a transformative effects. That one parish has 300 ministries that are fully funded and they give half a million dollars or more every year to causes outside the parish. So that cultural shift of tithing. I think, could be transformative to the Catholic faith if we begin creating that culture. And parishes, and even in very poor countries like the Philippines, are engaging that principle and seeing big changes. And then fourth would be story. Uh, one of the powerful things about the Mormon faith is you were part of an engaging and inspiring story of a people who fled persecution. They built a spiritual flourishing community in the Utah Territory in the 1850s. And whether you were ancestors of these pioneers or not, you were the beneficiary of this narrative that was compelling. And I think that's why a lot of what we do at Ascension is is ordered around that principle of story that people need and find their identity within a larger story. So whether it's your story in the sacred scriptures with great adventure or whatever our catechesis may be, or even our recent Bible study on Ephesians, that's all about rediscovering your identity in Christ. So those those four are big takeaways for me how they deal with size service stewardship and story
1: excellent yeah and and like you said they all apply to our parishes even though they're, they're very different in the size we can have small home groups and small uh, study groups inside the parish and in homes um, and we don't have the the Mormon story but we have uh, if you excuse me the great adventure if you will um, the the good news that we're part of the God's salvation, God's plan for salvation. Um, So yeah, so all four of those can apply to uh, any Catholic parish and across the country anywhere. So yeah, good stuff, man. Size, service, stewardship, and story. Um, What about the Baptist faith? Anything present in the Baptist faith that um, would be good for us to take away and practice it in our Catholic parishes?
0: I think you spoke about this with Jeff in a previous podcast that Uh, faith communities, evangelical faith communities have a lot to teach us as well. And I would just pick up three that I I think resonate with some of what Jeff said. Their passion for the Word of God, so they have have a life that's centered around Scripture. Scripture animates their conversation. It's it's where their language comes from. Uh, Secondly would be joyful worship. I experienced this, especially in the African-American tradition, and I really appreciated that, that there was just an excitement and love to come and worship the Lord. There's a danger, I think, in our Liturgical tradition of of hollow ritualism, we can find ourselves just going through the motions. So how can we uh, engage the Mass in a a more joyful and uh, um, engaged way? And then finally, intentional hospitality. You you mentioned experience this in the Mormon tradition, but I think evangelicals do this really well, that hospitality isn't just a job for ushers. All of us uh, can welcome people around us. If we don't recognize someone standing next to us in the pew, We should introduce ourselves and say, you've probably been here for years, but I haven't had the honor of meeting you yet. My name's Thomas. What's your name? So just engaging people when they come so people can't just disappear into the crowds at mass, but we're actually engaging everyone around us. So that happens with people welcoming in the vestibule and ushers at the door, but it has to extend all the way to us in the pews.
1: Hmm. So good. Um, Tom I know you need to run here soon so is there anything you want to ask Thomas before we uh, before you hop off the line?
2: Uh, no I think um, uh, you've uh, you've stolen all my questions <laughs> Alan no um, I mean this is this has been so helpful for us I mean Thomas, I think just to, uh, to hear from you the, the reflections of of uh, our Protestant brothers uh, and sisters as well as those from the, the latter day saints, um, that, you know, that there are, that there's, there really are some good elements so that we can actually learn from and, and, and appreciate, uh, as we're going through this, while at the same time, learning how to dialogue with them and, and discuss re- just real issues. So I really appreciate that.
0: Well, it's been a joy to talk with you both about it, for sure.
1: The pleasure is all ours. All right. So Tom, uh, I guess... I'll talk to you later, brother. (laughs) Thomas, if you'll hang on there with me. Um, I have another question I'd like to ask you about um, maintaining your spiritual uh, fire, I guess, if you will. We talk a lot about burnout in parishes and how people get just tired and burned out and and, uh, maintaining balance in their lives. And so I'm curious how you uh, maintain uh, your spiritual life and how do you uh,
0: kind of fuel your mission, if you will? That's a great question, Alan, and one of the things I experienced a lot doing parish ministry now uh, for the last 10 years full-time, that is I go out and do parish missions, I do staff development days and staff retreats and clergy retreats, is that in fact most Catholics that are engaged in full-time parish ministry aren't practicing uh, a spiritual discipline in their life. So they're so busy serving and doing their work that they're not actually stopping For prayer, personal prayer time, or some type of personal discipline. So, what I've kind of learned over the years is I have to give some people something that is very practical, something they can do immediately, that is going to produce very quick uh, transformative effects. And so, the two practices that I recommend people pick up because they don't take a lot of time, they're easy to learn, but their power is tangible and real, and people are going to start seeing results if they engage it on a consistent basis. And that's the practices of Lectio Divina and the Jesuit examine prayer. And those form the kind of bookends, something you can do uh, in the morning and the examine traditionally is something you do at the end of the day. And I just have literally hundreds of stories of people that when they pick up a practice and they do it consistently over time, they start to see a real impact in their life. And both of these practices are training you to be able to listen to how God is speaking into your life to be aware of how he's in, he's in every conversation and task of your day, and that can infuse a ministry with new life and cause real faith flourishing in a, a person who might be burnt out or struggling with their faith.
1: So, Thomas, if you could just kind of walk our listeners through what those two practices are, if they're unfamiliar with, with them, what is Lectio Divina and what is the, um, the Examen Prayer?
0: Yeah, a lot of people have heard about Lectio but not practice it as much. And it's four quick steps. It's reading, it's uh, meditating on the Word of God, it's speaking the Word of God back, or it's called the and then it's just resting in the Word of God. So you take a passage of Scripture, I recommend the Gospel of the day, you read that out loud because the Word is intended to be vocalized, you meditate on it, that is, you start asking questions, how is this Word challenging me, how might it be comforting me, how, how could it be speaking into my life? Once you get some sense of how that word is speaking to you, then oratio or the third stage is you pray it back to God. So for example, it might be challenging me to be more engaged in talking about my faith with others so I can pray that back and say, Lord, you really touched me with this particular challenge today. Give me the grace and courage whenever the opportunity presents itself for me to share a little bit about my faith, to plant a a seed of faith, hope, or love. And then the final stage is contemplatio. It's just taking two minutes or so just to quietly rest. Sometimes God is going to speak in even more profound words silently to our heart that can heal us in ways we didn't even know we were broken. So that four steps, those four steps takes 15, 20 minutes. That's 2% of your day. Can we give God mm. 2% of our day? And Benedict Sixteenth says, if we do that, that can leverage a new spiritual springtime for the whole church, that single spiritual practice. I, I've had marriage... Uh, Married couples come to me and tell me that it's changed their marriage when they started doing Lexio t- together over their morning coffee. Parish staff doing it around the upcoming Sunday reading, individuals doing it with their kids. So it, the proof is in the pudding, pick up the practice and you'll start to see a real change in your spiritual life. And then the second, the examine prayer is five steps. It's also very simple. Uh, you express gratitude to the Lord for your day. So you do a quick review of, of how the Lord has been with you and blessed you in that day. You make a very specific intention, show me what you want me to see. And then thirdly, you review your day as much as possible. Go back and look at the conversations, the tasks, the meaningful moments of your day, and how was God speaking or moving in those events or those conversations. What it does is it raises your spiritual antennas to start being more recollected about your life and more conscious of how God is in every moment of your day. I think you had a podcast not long ago with Dr. Greg about Catholic mindfulness it really mm-hmm. activates that that sensibility and when you see moments in your life that you resisted grace the fourth step is repentance you just bring that to Jesus he's not there to beat you up over it but it's just acknowledging here's where I I wasn't open to God coming into that conversation or that task and then the fifth step is renewal what can I do tomorrow based on what I'm learning from recollecting my day to be different to make a small shift in my spiritual life and so I Bookend my days with those two practices, and I've seen it renew uh, the spiritual life of, of clergy and laity alike.
1: That's great. When I when I first started pra- kind of practicing the exam in the evening, it was it was a lot of like just kind of going through how I failed <laughs> through the day. And that's still a big part of it. Don't get me wrong. But now I've, I've noticed that the next day as I'm going through my day, I'm, I'm become more aware of those moments too, because I know I'm going to be looking back on them at night. And so it's, it's, it just makes me more aware in the present moment the next day for some, for some reason, that's kind of just been kind of a fruit of practicing it as well for me. It's good stuff.
0: Yeah. It's a huge problem that people aren't very recollected. We just go from event to event to event and then hit the pillow at the end of the day. And we're not growing. Because we're not going back and kind of learning from, from previous experience.
1: Yeah, my body wants to do it so badly that if I don't take time at the end of the day, it'll wake me up at like three a.m. and make me <laughs> kind of start going through my day in my head. Oh yeah, that happened today. Right. <laughs> so it's, um, yeah, it's been really, it's been really good for me in my life for sure. Um,
0: yeah, and can I just say that I I, I have a, a friend that's a mom that has five boys. At one time, she had five sons under the age of seven, and she does a little mini examine with them when she gets them in the car. Instead of just saying, how was your day or what did you learn today? She has them identify what's the thing you were most proud of that you did today and where's the area that, that you look back and say, gosh, I wish I hadn't said that on the playground or done that in the classroom. So she's teaching her kids at a very young age, what's the time in my life today that I most responded to and cooperated with grace and what's the moment where I can, uh, can learn to grow from or I can go back and apologize to someone tomorrow. So it's really neat to see her creating little, little saints of her sons.
1: And that's a good thing to to not just pass on to our children, which we should obviously do, and I will today, but also for people in ministry that are working with a a volunteer team or a core team um, or or, or are teaching RCIA. It's something you can pass on to people that are in leadership to help them kind of end their day with looking over what was their high point, what was their low point, and they can kind of – teach the people they are teaching and, and so on. So it's, it'd be pretty simple and pretty easy to kind of quickly pass that through the church so that we're all looking back on our day to see where did we um, live out our potential and where did, we, where did we fail and need God's grace to try again tomorrow.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's an exercise you could do with your whole staff, even in a parish. It's just do a staff exam. I mean, you know, if you just did that once a month. that That's why I really like these practices is because they're easy to learn. They're easy to do. But they have amazing results, and and people just don't have a lot of time, quite frankly, today. So you've got to give them something that they can immediately carry into their life, where the rubber hits the road.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I'd like to talk to you about um, the charisma, but that's a big question, and so we're going to save that for another episode. Um, that's something that uh, you you mentioned. One of your your four S's, the story, and also the event, if you will, that that began to propel you out of Mormonism was listening to people's story and listening to their relationship with Christ. And you can't argue with somebody's relationship and and, and with their story. And so um, that's just a, a, when it comes to evangelizing people and working with people in the parish, I think we should constantly be re evangelizing each other as well as those we're working with. And so um, if we can just kind of wrap up for today and then we'll come back and we'll do a whole episode just on the Kerygma and we'll talk about uh, witnessing to people um, some good things you've seen happen, kind of hear your personal story, a little more of your personal story as well, and and um, just focus on that, if that's okay with you.
0: That's great. I look forward to it. Thanks.
1: <laughs> All right, guys. So how about our listeners out there? If you've heard the Charisma proclaimed in a, in a new way, or if you had a chance to share your story or share the Charisma with someone, we want to know about it. So let me ask you, have you shared your story with somebody? If so, uh, when? And if not, um why not? What's keeping you? So write in, tell us, tell us your stories, tell us you're good and you're bad. We'd love to, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at Ascension Roundtable at ascensionpress.com. You can also uh, click on the show notes and leave us a note there. And if you could rate and review us, that would be awesome. If you're listening to us on iTunes, you can rate and review right inside the itunes app now just click on more information and you can uh give us five stars or whatever you think is is appropriate and then leave us a review helps people out there find the podcast that are looking for it and uh just helps us feel a little bit better about ourselves every day too so it's a it's a win-win for everybody so please rate and review us No, it really is um, beneficial for people trying to find the podcast um, and get on people's radar so thomas with that i i bid you adieu and uh we will talk again soon (laughs) All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Peace.